This is a podcast from the Business Times. Welcome to Property BT, a podcast series by the Business Times. I'm Senior Correspondent Leslie Yee, and I'll be your host as we gather insights on all things Singapore property to help you in your property investment journey. Today, I delve into strategizing for success when buying a built-to-order or BTO public housing flat with my guest, Wong Xiuying. She's Head of Research and Content at leading property agency Propnex Realty. A key decision for many young Singaporean couples is choosing what Housing and Development Board or HDB flat to apply for in the BTO exercise. The BTO flat is a newly built HDB flat that's launched ahead of its construction. BTO flats are sold at subsidised prices. Comparable flats nearby could be 30 to 60% higher in price than BTO units. Some BTO flat bars also receive housing grants. To land a precious BTO unit, a couple would need to comprise at least one Singapore citizen and another citizen or permanent resident. Other criteria include meeting the income ceiling of 14,000 Singapore dollars per month. The HDB typically conducts four exercises of BTOs a year. In these exercises, applicants can choose flats in mature or non-mature estates. Mature estates are generally older ones, such as Ang Mokyo, Bishan, Clementi, Queenstown and Topayo. Non-mature estates are usually newer ones, with more land available for development, such as Bukit Batok, Sembawang, Tengah and Yishun. Mature estates are often much more popular with applicants. Application rates for BTO units in mature estates are generally higher than in non-mature ones. Xiuying, why do home bars prefer mature estates? Well, first of all, thank you, Leslie, for having me here. Some buyers prefer mature estates because they want to live closer to their family members. Their parents could be living there and they wish to be closer to them. And this helps because it provides support network for them to have a parent nearby, either to help with caregiving if something at work crops up and they need some help with the kids they have a family member nearby. Also to facilitate caregiving if they have to take care of elderly parents. So that's one. The other thing would be, you know, maybe they themselves grew up in the mature estates. They're familiar with the place. They have built strong social bonds. They want to remain there. The other point really, it's about convenience and the shorter commuting times. So I sort of took a look on uh, Google Maps. So if if you live in Zimbabwe and you work in the CBD, taking a train from Zimbabwe to Dreffel's Place, that would be about 15 stations and 14 minutes. But if you if you live in Topayo, for instance, going to Dreffel's Place, that really halves the travelling time. You're looking at 20 minutes and seven stations. So really, it's about convenience and the commuting times. This is important because in Singapore today, you know, over the last few decades, we have built up our transport system. Towns in so-called non-mature, they are actually bustling and vibrant as well. Really, what makes a difference is to think around commuting times and how this would facilitate their day-to-day lives. The other point people opt for mature estate really is perhaps the perception that some of these flats would garner better yield upon resale. Shuring, I think I couldn't agree more. Certainly some young couples like to buy a particular mature estate because their parents live there or they're familiar with it. And as you point out, some mature estates are very centrally located, making commute to the work in the city very convenient. And also, I guess, one may be trying to make as much money as possible from buying a BTO unit. After all, buying a BTO flat typically means making a guaranteed profit. So seize the golden opportunity. Try to make as large a profit as possible. 
In mature estates, there are now flats which are sold under the Prime Location Public Housing, or PLH model, that was first introduced in 2021. There are key differences between PLH flats and other BTO flats. The minimum occupation period, or MOP, for PLH flats is 10 years versus 5 years for non-PLH units. With PLH flats, one cannot rent out the whole unit after MOP, unlike with non-PLH units. The resale of PLH homes is restricted to buyers who meet the criteria to buy BTO homes, and the buyer of a new PLH flat will need to pay back to the HDB a portion of resale proceeds. The rate is 6% for recently launched PLH flats. Hmm, headache. So many restrictions with PLH units. How? Let's get advice from Xu Ying on whether it makes sense to go for PLH units. Well, you know, first up, I think PLH flats, they are indeed very attractive. Uh, if you look at the locations, they are centrally located, you know, very close to train stations, a lot of amenities nearby. So it really depends on the individual's needs and life goals. It makes sense if the buyer is looking at committing to the unit over a long period of time and certainly beyond that 10-year MOP, as you've mentioned earlier. Why is this important? Is also because for buyers with plans to upgrade in the short term say if they tend to sort of move on if they have private housing aspirations they may want to rethink we're talking about a fairly long lock-in period PLH flats they tend to be a bit more complex to build it may take longer time to build because also they're in built-up areas closer to the city area right so then you're looking at construction period of perhaps five years or so and then you have the 10-year lock-in period. So you're looking at easily 15 years being tied to this property. So if you have intention to sort of upgrade you know, in the near future, then maybe you want to think again. So if you buy into this PLH when you're age 25, 15 years, that's 40. When you're 40 years old, then you can sort of start to make your other real estate moves. So I think they have to think about that. The other point, family planning goals. So if you buy a three-room PLH flats, would that be sufficient if you you know, over the next few years, end up having two kids, or if you have intention to hire a domestic helper, is that going to be sufficient? So I think they have to sort of extrapolate their needs way ahead in order to sort of buy the right size. Those are the key points, right sizing, thinking about what they need, and also the time frame that they intend to, to live there and whether they have any short-term estate upgrading plans. Indeed, I think the lock-in period is a major consideration and one needs to certainly think carefully about one's longer-term needs, as Suing points out. I think living in a nice home can enhance mental well-being, and a nice home can be great for family life. I think the PLH flats that come up at the Greater Southern Waterfront would be particularly attractive. Get priceless sea views while living in a central location? What a dream! Earlier we touched on the appeal of mature estates in general, but flats in mature estates can cost much more than those in non-mature ones. Crucially, one may get a flat more easily and faster by applying for one in a non-mature estate. Let's get Suing's take on what are the advantages of buying in a non-mature estate. I think the lines between mature estate and non-mature estate these days, they're a bit blurred, right? Because as we've mentioned earlier, with the development of uh, more comprehensive transport links with uh, amenities and new town centres, uh, non-mature estates are actually very vibrant and thriving as well. So if you look at Jurong East, for instance, that's non-mature. Sengkang, for instance, that's also non-mature. The lines are blurring. But in terms of advantages, a clear one would be pricing. 
you know, so if you look at the recent BTO exercise in February, four-room BTO in um, Jurong West, they are going at a range 288000 to $372,000, right, ex-grant. A four-room flat, a BTO flat in Raja Summit, that's in Kalangwampo, a mature town, that's going at 459000 to uh, just over $630,000. So, so there is that disparity in pricing. The second advantage is if you are a single buyer and you're looking to buy a flat from the HDB, you can only look at non-mature towns. So the other, the other point would be for eligible, you know, first-time buyers, they can get an additional ballot chance for unsuccessful BTO application only if they apply in non-mature towns. The first-timer parent and merit couple scheme these people, they get first priority when they're applying for a room or smaller BTO flats in non-mature towns. So, so all these are some of the key advantages. I wouldn't say that mature towns are extremely more convenient compared to a non-mature town or that, you know, one has got a lot more amenities compared to the other because, like, like I said, Singapore has developed. So a lot of these things are coming up and non-mature towns, they are actually equally appealing. Uh, decentralization, the greater adoption of remote working, for instance, those things could make non-mature towns attractive as well to some people who actually can do telecommuting. Suing, certainly Singapore is developing very rapidly and in all sorts of locations. Singapore is a small place with excellent public transport. All HDB estates are well-planned and well-managed. The various estates tend to feature a comprehensive range of amenities. I guess it is a bit like schools here. Just as every school is a good school, every HDB estate is a good estate. Moreover, Tengah, a new town, will soon have an ACS primary school that's open to boys and girls. What a draw for young parents who are fixated on getting their kids into branded schools. Still to come, is compromise a dirty word when buying a BTO home? A monthly podcast inspired by the Business Times column, Off the Record, joined the BT Podcasts lineup in April. Conversations in which editors from the newsrooms of SPH Media discuss the modern news industry from their insider's perspective. Hi, I'm Howie Lim, correspondent at the Business Times. In the next episode of Editors Talk, I'll be getting insights into the strategy and thought process that took BT Podcasts from experiment to business unit at the Business Times. Are there more transformational changes to come? What is the potential of podcasts in today's digital world? And where does AI fit into the future of BT Podcasts? Information that doesn't just affect me directly, but might give you answers in your business sector's digital transformation journey. BT's podcast editor Clarissa Montero joins us next. Out May 8th. Check in for the latest in Editor's Talk from the Business Times. And now, back to Property BT from the Business Times. We have talked about considerations when choosing between mature and non-mature estates. We also discuss whether BTO applicants should consider PLH units despite their many restrictions. For a couple applying for a BTO flat, the heart-stopping moment comes when one receives news as to whether one is invited to choose a unit. But there is a catch. Selected applicants with good queue numbers get first dips at choosing a unit. Say there are 200 four-room flats in the project you are eyeing. If your queue number is high, by the time you get to choose your unit, all the units on high floors and with auspicious numbers may be taken. BTO applicants beware. 
You cannot be too choosy. Reject a BTO flat at your peril. You will be bummed down the BTO queue. Since 2017, about 40% of applicants who have been invited to book a BTO flat failed to do so. These people declined the offer or missed their flat selection appointment. From August onwards, first-time home buyers who register one non-selection will be relegated to second-timer status for a year. Second-timers have much lower priority to book a flat. At least 95% of BTO flats are reserved for first-timers. All this sounds rather draconian. Suing is the bumping down the queue of those who turn down their first chance to choose a BTO flat excessively harsh? Well, you know, I think we can appreciate why the HDB is deciding to do this to tighten the non-selection rules. Because as you've pointed out, the uh, non-selection rate was 40% since 2017. So if people do not select flats, then that actually just means that other applicants with more genuine needs, they are deprived of selecting a flat. So yes, we understand why they have had to tighten the, the rules, so to speak. But we think on surface of it, it is harsh because it means one strike, you're out. Technically, if you do not select a flat for whatever reason, then you get bumped down the queue and you have, uh, you'll be treated as a second timer for a year. And I think to be fair, a BTO flat, it's a sizable commitment and a big investment. People who want to buy a new flat, they would want to have the most ideal unit that tick more boxes. So people may reject a unit, for example, if it's got poor facing, you know, maybe it's it faces the bin centre, for example, or it's located close to, say, the rubbish chute, or it gets a lot of sun in the afternoon. And also if it's on a very low floor. So depending on preferences, some people may feel that on a low floor unit, maybe, you know, you get a lot more noise coming from the first story when people move around. So there are well, I would say valid reasons for individuals and they may feel aggrieved by this uh, non-selection rule of just one rejection and then you get bumped down the queue. But the other consideration is perhaps if, you know, the HDB could so tweak the flat design, for example, and not build flats on the lower floor that people do not desire for. So maybe podium blocks where you have car parks and maybe HDB heartland shops on the lower floors and then the residential units start from say level 4 or level 5 upwards. Maybe that will cost more. So I suppose that's a trade-off, right? Hmm, interesting indeed. Yeah, as you point out, Suing, yeah, maybe HDB can tweak their design so that there are fewer so-called less desirable units which people may feel compelled to turn down. Couples must indeed be careful with their BTO applications and hope for some luck. While hoping for the best so that one can select the very best unit in the block, perhaps buyers should be prepared to compromise. But as Suing points out, buying a home is a big-ticket item. Spend so much, so cannot compromise. Is compromise a dirty word when buying a BTO unit? Maybe even if a unit available is a low-floor one, do not waste time, just get it? Maybe try for the non-mature estate because chances of getting a unit are higher and the unit gets completed faster. As income rises, a young couple can always sell their BTO unit post-MOP for a profit and move to a resale home in a mature estate of their choice or even a private condo. Suying, what do you think? Should home buyers be prepared to compromise when buying a BTO home? Mm. This point about compromising, is it, I, don't, I don't think it just applies to BTO. 
If you're buying any other property, or even a private condo, there would be pros and cons that buyers have to weigh and that they would have to make certain compromises, right? Generally, there will be times when you need to make a compromise, but everyone has certain non-negotiables. So, for instance, if you have very limited budget, then you would probably want to look at non-mature estates, a flat that is right-sized for you. If four-room flat is sufficient, maybe don't need to go for a five-room unit straight away. If you are looking at a mature town that is actually very popular, then maybe a lower-floor unit may not be that bad after all. There are different sort of life choices that they have to make, you know. But I would say generally, yes, there would be compromise to be made. And the other thing is, buyers need to sort of consider the opportunity cost of not compromising. If you do not select, you get bumped down the queue, so that's one. What are their plan B? Do they live with a family member in the short term? Are they looking to rent an interim? And if they're renting, what sort of rental expense are they talking about? There are certain consequences to not compromising, and then these need to be so well thought through as well. Indeed, Siring, I guess it's a bit like life. Know your non-negotiables, understand the opportunity costs of your decisions. So far, we've been focusing on BTO flats. The BTO flat is a great choice as a first home for a young couple. BTO flats are affordably priced. Many couples can buy such homes with loans that are financed from the CPF account, and profit is virtually guaranteed upon the resale of such units. But young couples looking for an HDB home also have the option to buy a resale flat. With a resale unit, one has a home that one can move into straight away. No need to rent in the interim, as Suing points out, or have to live with the in-laws. One can also zero in on a particular estate and unit when buying a resale home. However, some resale homes can be very pricey, even a million Singapore dollars or more. First-timer families buying two- to four-room HDB resale flats can now get a grant of up to 80,000 Singapore dollars, up from 50,000 Singapore dollars. Those who buy five-room or larger units can get 50,000 Singapore dollars, up from 40,000 Singapore dollars. Suing with the higher resale grants available, is it sensible for young couples to buy a resale home instead? Well, the uh, HDB resale market, it is a viable option to BTO, especially if the buyers, the young couples, they are looking at certain estates that they want to be close to their family, then actually resale market might be one to look for. There are actually other factors that make resale market a little bit more attractive in that sense. So you have the generous grant, that's one. Resale flats, they're ready to move in. You don't really have to wait three to four years construction period. And technically, they have a shorter sort of lock-in period. So you don't have to wait for the construction. So your lock-in, so to speak, is the five-year MOP. And after that, if you have plans, if you need to sort of move to a bigger unit or if you want to upgrade to a private housing, then you have that time frame. So I think if they're looking for larger flats, five room and above in mature towns, then the resale market would likely provide more options. That said, the upcoming BTO, there will be five room units in Badok and Serangoon. So there are different options. It really depends on what they need. But I would say the resale market would probably be something that more buyers would look for first, given the tighter non-selection rule. They may not want to risk it. Some of our agents on the ground have also observed that after the increase in the CPF housing grant, they've received more inquiries on the ground for, for example, four-room flats. So I think there is interest and the uh, grant itself makes it sensible for people to look at resale market as well. Interesting hearing that there's 
been heightened interest in some HDB resale flats. And as you point out, certainly some of the older HDB resale flats are very generously sized. There's a wide pool of buyers for resale homes. Some buyers may have big budgets. With resale homes, one is paying a market price. Also, the recent strong run-up in resale prices may be an aberration. Perhaps buying a resale home can work well for some young couples. However, do the homework and exercise caution. If you lose out on a bid for a particular resale unit, stay cool. Remember, BTO units enjoy a price advantage over resale ones. Generally, BTO homes are optimal for first-time buyers. Invest the time to understand the mechanics of the BTO market. Hope for luck. Possibly be prepared to compromise along the way. Many thanks to my guest, Wong Siu Ying of Propnext Realty. Thank you, Leslie. And that's a wrap for this edition of Property BT. Do join us for the next episode where we look at the interests of foreigners in Singapore property. Why do some foreigners pay 30% in additional buy stamp duty to buy homes here? Will foreigners get more active in Singapore homes and non-residential property? Is there any need to clamp down on foreigners buying property here? I'm Leslie Yee. Thank you for listening and happy property hunting. This is a podcast by The Business Times. Find more BT podcasts at businesstimes.com.sg slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is meant to provide general information only. SPH Media accepts no liability for loss arising from any reliance on the podcast or use of third parties' products and services. Please consult professional advisors for independent advice.